0: Well, good morning faith bridge it's so great to be back here again hey when my youngest daughter kelsey was just a little girl our friends were astonished at the quantity and speed of words that just came out of her mouth she just liked to talk all the time i remember one time a friend of ours took her home from church and she was in the car with kelsey the whole way home and I'll never forget, opening up the front door, Kelsey just marches right in. Our friend just looks at us with this exhausted expression and says, wow. <laughs> Even Kelsey's little friends notice it. One time at lunchtime, one of Kelsey's little friends said, Kelsey, do you ever stop talking? And Kelsey's response was, why would I? Talking's my spiritual gift. And she went on to explain to us how God was blessing the world with her spiritual gift of talking. Now, it's one thing for me to try to describe it. It's another thing if you can actually hear it. And so what I want to do for you now is play a message that she left me when she was just about nine years old. She'd asked me to pick up these shorts and bring them to the church for her. She'd found the shorts, so she was calling me to say, Hey, Dad, found the shorts. You don't need to bring them. I, I-, I said that in probably five seconds. You're going to find out why it took Kelsey about a minute and 30 seconds to leave a message like that. It, it's very complicated. She has to add all of the outside information. Here it is.
1: Hi, this is Kelsey. And forget about the message I just said. Can I dip on the yellow swords? I just remembered that they're actually coming oranges. So I called them the orange and yellow shorts, but I found them, I said, mom, just need to give me a call, So then forget about the other message, forget about this message too, because I know I'm probably just bothering you, but anyway, you can turn it off right now if you want, because you don't have to listen to my Twitter chat out, but anyway, forget about the other message, because I found it, and now I'm going to grab one of my shorts, shorts and, those. and um, so if you find I know you won't read me this message first, but also I also what give you this message first, so you're know not to bother about the other message. Anyway, so i was just gonna wear my shirt, and the sword. So, that is a message from Kelsey Elizabeth Thomas, Water Queen of Australia. I mean, Washington, Washington, Super Night, 26, Thirty-one fifteen, brandy wine Court. Thank you. Good day. Oh, thanks. Um, on the way, seven five two one eight six seven. It's just your phone number, but truly, really, I don't ask you because you don't know my phone number and you don't need to call me. Anyway, goodbye. This is Kelsey, by the way. Kelsey. Oh, I will go with that again. Bye.
0: Now, I, I, I play that message in part to defend myself. Because we were going on vacation back in those days, that meant driving in a minivan and it was long across the state. And when you have a child that talks that quickly and that often throughout the day, she did not get tired. And you have a slightly older son who's sitting next to her. And you could see him getting wearier and wearier and where his patience was getting thinner and thinner and thinner and look, I know you probably have higher goals for your family on vacation. But for me that time, I started to realize I just didn't want there to be a homicide. I was hoping we could get where we're going without anybody dying, without any blood being shed. So I pulled my son aside at a gas station stop. I said, hey, bud, I I know it gets a little bit weary, but here's the deal. She'll carry the conversation. If you'll just say an occasional, "Uh uh-huh, okay, every now and then, and and you can kind of tune her out, it's okay, and, and we'll get through this. Well, Kelsey actually found out. I had told him that, and she was crushed. And I felt like an idiot. Look, I adore Kelsey. I delighted in that. I missed those days when she talked like that. And for her to think that I was being negative about that, it broke my heart even as it broke hers. I thought, well, there's another couple sessions of therapy when she becomes an adult. But to be honest with you, that's really just one of thousands of things I wish I could do differently as a dad, where I wish I could have a do-over. My wife and I desperately wanted to be good parents. We tried so hard and we would read all of the books and some books promised quite a bit that this is God's way of how you raise kids and and all of that. But here's the thing that surprised me as I look back on that. If the how-to of raising kids is so crucial, if there's one method that we have to get down right, how come it's not in the Bible? I became shocked when I realized how few biblical passages explicitly tell parents this is the way to raise your kids. There just aren't that many of them. Now, Duffy dealt with a couple last weekend, but that was about it. You've got one in Ephesians 6 that basically says, dads, don't make your kids angry. You've got the passage he mentions in Proverbs that says, don't neglect discipline. We could throw in Deuteronomy 6 about teaching your children the word, but there's not much more beyond that. And so if there's this one magical how-to, the best way to raise our kids, the best program, I don't think the Bible would be so silent. And I I almost laughed when I realized, though there are thousands of Christian books written on how to raise our kids correctly, there are only a few Bible verses. Does anybody else understand the discrepancy? Thousands of Christian books and just a few Bible verses. So if the how-to is really that important, why is the Bible so silent about it? But here's what the Bible's not silent about. And that's the need for adults, the parents, to grow their own character. I could give you dozens of verses where Paul is telling adults, most of whom are parents, you need to put a concerted effort into how you're growing in character and in the faith. There are dozens. We don't have time to go through all of them. I want to just focus on one this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And here's what Paul says. Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You see, it's somewhat shocking to me that the Bible doesn't really tell us to make our kids behave nearly as much as the Bible tells us parents that we need to behave. And it makes sense that because Paul tends to see the things of the Lord being caught more than they're taught. When Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, wanting to teach him how to have the biggest influence in his church, here's what he said, 1 Timothy 4, 16. Timothy, watch your life. Not not the life of those that you're in charge of, not those that you want to grow. He says, Timothy, watch your life closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers, that there was something about Timothy setting a good example that would help save his hearers. And it's fascinating. There's been studies done on how many children of committed believers become Christians themselves. The sobering news for us parents is they found you can't guarantee that your children will become Christians just by setting a good example. They found numerous occasions, occasions where parents had great examples, but their kids didn't embrace their faith. However, they did find one circumstance where you could almost guarantee the outcome, and that was this. When parents had a high level of hypocrisy, when there was a huge gap between how they lived uh, throughout the week and how they pretended to live on Sunday morning, they said those children almost never became believers. If the kids figured out there was two different people that their parents were, one way they acted in church, one way they acted outside of church, Those kids never became interested in living a life of faith, which means one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children as parents is our own pursuit of holiness and our own growth. Instead of being so obsessed about how our kids are behaving, Paul might say you should be a little more concerned about how you're behaving because your kids are catching the way that you're living. I, I experienced this early on in a way that scared me, to be honest. My son was just four years old. He was in that stage where he wanted to be with me everywhere I went. I was replacing a headlight in the car one time, and so Graham was with me outside helping me. I turned my head and spit, and Graham looked at me. He said, why did you spit? I said, I, I don't know, Graham. Sometimes a guy just needs to spit, and Graham goes, I need to spit too. He clears his throat and he spits. I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, he asked me later in the day to teach him how to play tennis. He'd seen me watching a tennis match on television. He said, Dad, would you teach me how to play? And I said, sure. So we're going out to a court and hitting some balls. And this was in the hot Virginia sun. It was the summertime. And so I, I took my shirt off. And Graham just stared at me. Why did you take your shirt off? I said, well, I, I got really hot. He goes, well, I'm hot too. He takes his shirt and drops it on the floor. We went to church the next morning and Graham couldn't read yet, but he brought a Bible to church because his dad brought a Bible to church. After the pastor read the passage, I put my Bible down and my heart stopped because I saw that Graham had put his Bible right next to mine. It was open to the wrong passage because he couldn't read yet, but he said, this is what you do in church. Is what my dad does in church. It's what I'm going to do in church. Later that afternoon, my wife wanted to take a family walk on one of Northern Virginia's battlefields. And so we were looking to leave and we couldn't find Graham's shoes. I said, hey bud, you look upstairs, I'll look down. I went down into the family room. And I just paused because right in the middle of the floor, I'd left my shoes just as my wife appreciates. And Graham had stopped and left his shoes right next to mine at the very same angle. And I was able to figure out what had happened. He had been running downstairs, he saw my shoes there. He said, oh, this is where I'm supposed to leave my shoes and he did that as well. I gotta tell you, I, I had a hard time of prayer that evening and the next morning saying, Lord, this boy is studying me. And there's some things I don't want him to copy. Would you, would you cleanse my heart, remove any attitudes, any prejudices that are offensive to you or any impatiences that, that I don't wanna pass on? If, if he's gonna try to copy everything you do, I need to be a holier man, I, I need to grow because I don't wanna set him off in the wrong direction. And look, this isn't unique to me and and Graham. I've seen it be nearly universal. I I laughed when Archie Manning talked about the first time he saw his son, Peyton Manning, play quarterback, he was just a young kid. Of course, Archie had been a professional quarterback himself and Peyton had watched all of these old tapes of his dad playing. And so the first time that Peyton broke from a huddle, he walked back to the center and he was walking bow-legged because Archie's bow-legged. And, and Archie and his, and his wife laughed, Peyton isn't bow-legged, Archie is, but Peyton thought that's the way you're supposed to walk when you're a quarterback and they had to pull him aside and say, Peyton, that, that's not something you want to copy. That's something that your dad is actually trying to get away from. But whether it's a father, son, or mother, daughter, we're fooling ourselves if we don't think our kids are watching us more than they're listening to us. The reality is the faith will be caught even more than it will be taught. Now, we can't be perfect examples. None of us can be, but we can pursue progress in faith, earnestly, and diligently. And that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy to do. I'm sure Timothy's discouraged when he says, you got to set an example to help save your hearers. Timothy thought, oh no, what am I going to do? But here's Paul's encouraging word, 1 Timothy four fifteen. He says, be diligent in these matters. Diligent. Give yourself wholly to them. Why? So that everyone may see your progress. Timothy, you can't give them your perfection, but you can give them your progress. And the same thing is with our kids. We can't give them a perfect example, but we can show them we're making progress, that the Spirit of God is working on us, that we're applying scripture, and we're growing in God. So what I'm trying to say this morning is this, that God uses the process of parents raising children to shape the parents every bit as much as he wants the parents to shape the behavior of the children, and we shouldn't miss out on that. In fact, let's embrace parenting as a pathway to this purifying that 2 Corinthians 7.1 calls us to. None of us are perfect as parents, but parenting helps us get a little further down the road. Now, I've been coming to Faith Bridge since 2003, Uh, had a great friendship with Ken. In fact, we appreciate each other so much, we've gradually grown into the same hairstyle. (laughs) So we both comb our hair the same way. And, And if you've been here as long as Ken and I have, then you know I love to read the Christian classics. Most of my sermons will quote from Christian classics. In my books, I love to quote the great Christian writings. But one of the things I took issue with that read to the publication of Sacred Marriage and then Sacred Parenting is that most of the Christian classics were written by monks and nuns for monks and nuns. And the thinking was that's how you become holy and if you become married and have kids, you're sort of compromising, but, but try to do the practices of monk and nun and you'll get a little bit closer than you would have otherwise. But when I saw my wife raising our young children I realized the lie behind that, that God can use parenting to grow us every bit as much as he could use a convent or a monastery. In fact, I remember one time when we had just two children. They were very young. One of them was a baby. I was coming back from a trip and my wife was so generous to me. She greeted me with a wonderful time of physical intimacy. It was, I'm happy to be home. It was great. And we were ready to settle in for the night. And then both of our children got sick. Uh, The baby who was nursing just wanted to keep nursing. And some of you moms know how this works. At some point, it's not that he was hungry. He was just using her for comfort. And then my daughter got a fever. And look, I'm trying to step in as much as I can and help out as much as I can. But to be honest, when a kid is that young, sometimes no arms are as soft as mama's arms. And I watched as my wife gave herself selflessly all parts of her body to to serve her family, to love her family, to care for her family. And I realized at that point, being a nun would feel like an absolute vacation to her. If you'd said, do you wanna go to a convent for one month? She'd probably, no, how about two? I mean, give me a little longer stretch to catch my breath. And so if you think about it, you wanna grow in character What's gonna cause you to grow more? Going off on your own personal retreat? Now, I think that can be a good practice. But if you wanna grow in patience, you wanna grow in forgiveness and handling your anger, get in an SUV, travel cross country with three kids in the back seat. That will give you an arena to grow in character and faith as much as anything else. And I've seen how God has used parenting to shape me. I've struggled with people pleasing most of my life. It's pathetic. I'm, I'm ashamed of it. You know, Some guys want to scare people. That's not me. Some guys demand to be respected. I, I, I'm not so into that. I don't need to be in charge. I just want to be liked. And I know that's sad and pathetic, but that's just kind of me. But you know what? To grow, to be like Christ, the courage of Christ, the Christ who's occasionally willing to confront, I needed to get rid of that. And God used parenting to help that happen. I remember when our youngest daughter, Kelsey, who I mentioned before, was 16. That was sort of our age before they could start dating. She decided there was this young man she was interested in. I thought, well, if this is going to happen, I, I have to interview him. I got to make sure he's worthy of spending time with Kelsey. So he and I got together at a coffee shop, and I'm grilling him. And I, and I got to be honest, there were some penetrating questions there. And I told him, look, this isn't for me. You don't have to answer any of these questions. I mean, and I don't have to let you date my daughter. I just wanna make sure this is gonna be a healthy relationship. In fact, he answered them wonderfully. He was a, really an, an impressive young man. Later that evening, uh, we were taking Kelsey to youth group. She'd invited a friend. We we're just getting to know her and asking her some questions. And Kelsey filled me in on what happened as we dropped him off at church. Kelsey and her friend went in and saw the young man who was now going to become my daughter's uh, boyfriend. And the friend of Kelsey's said to the boyfriend, have you ever met Kelsey's parents? He said, oh yeah. She goes, they can ask lots of questions. And he said, you have no idea. And, And there would have been one time in my life when I would have just wanted to be known as the cool dad and the fun dad. But my love for Kelsey, my desire to protect her and guide her overrode my desire to be liked and admired by some kid I'd never known. So I had to grow out of that and it became a valuable tool. When I got into ministry, I realized it can't be just coming off as a good guy all the time. I was doing premarital counseling for a couple one time and this was so difficult for me. Because sometimes when couples will tell their friends and their family, hey, the guy that wrote sacred marriage is doing our premarital counseling, he's gonna marry us. I I know that gets out there a little bit. But my wife and I, as we were doing counseling together, became increasingly concerned until I finally had to tell the young woman, look, I I can't marry you. We can put it off if you want, but I I can't give my blessing to this. We've gotta work through these issues. It's just not wise. And I knew she'd probably hate me and he would certainly resent me and the friends and family members would think I'm just stuck up or on myself or whatnot. But I realized life isn't always about being liked. And God used parenting to break me out of that. I would have been much less of a person. And I believe in that situation, much less as a pastor. And that's what I'd like to use 2 Corinthians 7.1 to see is how God uses parenting to help us fulfill that passage. You notice it begins, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Purify ourselves. Not our kids, not our spouses, not all of the other drivers on I-10. It's so often that as Christians, we just are so aware of how everybody else needs to get their life together and Paul puts the focus on us and he says, no, you should purify yourself first. I think for Paul, he he might use this analogy. You've probably heard it a dozen times. It's becoming too common, but it's so apt here where, you know, when they say you're taking off on a plane in the unlikely event that the oxygen masks come down, you're supposed to put your mask on first so that you can breathe clearly and help your children. And I think Paul is saying the same thing is true for parents. You know what, before you want to pass on the fresh wind of God's spirit and the wonder of holiness and the blessed peace and joy of walking in obedience with God. You've gotta breathe in that spiritual air first before you can help your kids catch it. If you ignore your own spiritual growth, only focusing on your kids, you might pass out, you might crash and burn and your kids are never gonna be able to catch it. The reason I think parenting is so helpful to to remember this is that we live in a day and age, if I can say this, I mean, I don't like to be critical, but the reality is the modern church, we have one of the most passive approaches to spiritual growth in the history of the church. We're obsessed about salvation. Are you saved? Not so much about growing in holiness. When you read the Christian classics, and I believe when you read scripture, There's strong imperatives that we want to grow spiritually, but today's church is, no, just make sure you're right with the Lord. You don't want to try too much. That might seem like legalism. And so our approach is so passive. It reminds me of a guy I saw at the airport one time. He's in front of me in line. He was buying a king-size baby Ruth bar, a king-size bag of peanut M&Ms, a bag of chips, and a Coke, and he had a men's health magazine. Look at hey. But these don't seem like they go together. You know, if you value health, you can't just read a magazine about health and become healthy. And sometimes as Christians, we think, well, if I just read the Bible, I become spiritually healthy. If I just go to church, I become spiritually healthy. And that's not true. Physical health isn't easy. It requires a lot of work. We know that. Working out, looking at how we eat. Physical health doesn't come easily. Why do we think spiritual health is any different? And we just don't have that imperative to really address it seriously. Maybe, I hope, having kids will will move us to double down and say, okay, if I'm not willing to grow for myself, maybe I'll grow for my children. Instead of acting like I'm done growing, now I can just focus on my kids, we could say, Because I want my kids to grow, I need to grow. Because notice, Paul doesn't say that it's okay to have a surface cleaning. He says, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Not just the scandalous sins that would be covered in the Houston Chronicle. But the attitudinal sins, the things that, you know, nobody's going to kick you out of a church and say, well, we all struggle with that. But Paul says, no, we have to do a deep cleaning to get at those as well. And that's where parenting can be so helpful because it does that deep cleaning. It brings unhealthy attitudes to the surface like nothing else. I have a friend who has a church of about 300 so he's able to know most of the members who attend, he, he knows their life and in his church, they have this thing where uh, after the sermon, he invites people to come forward. It's people who want prayer for what was discussed in that sermon. And so um, at that time, 13 people came forward after his sermon, which is kind of a lot for people that want prayer on that topic. And he looked at them and he knew everyone and he laughed. Everyone who came forward after he preached on anger, was a mother of toddlers. <laughs> and, and he realized, you know what, that's sort of a, an occupational hazard. You're gonna deal with anger. And I would say as a dad, I never knew fear like I knew fear after I became a father. And there are different stages. Is your baby gonna make it when they become drivers, when they get into the teen years, and then when they leave. I mean, I, I never had to deal with fear the way I had to deal with fear after I became a father a parent and so paul says that we can use parenting to really do a deep dive because those things are exposed because he then calls us to this perfecting holiness out of reverence for god and i love this phrase perfecting holiness because what paul is saying is you're not perfect you're not going to be perfect but perfecting holiness means you want to grow In holiness, out of reverence for God, you want to keep growing. You're never going to arrive. I'm never gonna arrive. But parenting can get me a little further down the road when I look at parenting through that lens. I think of a friend of mine named Kathy Carpenter. She's a medical doctor, married to a husband with a master's degree. I mean, this is a professional couple, a smart couple, an accomplished couple. Their first child, Bethany, was a model child. Uh, just compliant, pleasant. Babysitters would practically pay Gordon and Kathy to watch Bethany. She was a joy. Then Matt came along. and I've got a picture here of Matt that you can see. Matt was what Kathy called their birth control baby. (laughs) They decided if they could spawn a child like that, They better not have a third child because they didn't know if the world was big enough because Matt had so much energy and he had to challenge every rule almost from the time he had been born. In Kathy's words, I had been forced to shift to the role of trying to survive parenting. Just get through the day. While babysitters would line up to watch Bethany, they really didn't need a break from that often. They couldn't pay a babysitter enough to stay and watch Matt. They ran out of all of the neighborhoods, babysitters, word got around. Even though they needed a break from Matt more than they ever did from Bethany, the break wasn't gonna happen. They couldn't find a babysitter. Matt was kicked out of his first preschool by age three. And his energy quickly became a safety issue when he was still sitting in the the car seat. Their frustration was they could never make it to church because Matt would always get out of the car seat. So they finally did some research. They found a car seat for a a toddler that Kathy said looked like a torture chair in a James Bond movie. It took them about five minutes to strap Matt in, specially designed for kids like that. They thought, finally, we're going to get to church without having to stop. He said they weren't even two miles down the road when they looked in the rearview mirror, and there's Matt dancing on top of the car seat. He had gotten out, and they realized short of duct tape, there was nothing that would keep him in that chair on the commute there. And he would push against every rule. One time when he was um, in kindergarten, I believe it was, he'd brought a couple crayons from home. And the teacher admonished him, Matt, I don't want you to bring crayons from home. We don't wanna mix them with the school crayons. And she could see the, the rebellion behind his eyes. And so she sent a note home to Kathy with Matt, please, Matt's trying to bring crayons from home. Don't let him do that. So the next morning, Matt comes down and he puts his foot out for Kathy to tie his shoe. She noticed a bulge in his sock. And she remembered the note and she got suspicious. She pulled the sock back. The sock was crammed with crayons. She looked at his other pant leg. It was crammed with crayons. She started to undress him. He had crayons jammed into his underwear. Every part of his clothing that could hold a crayon held one just for fun, Kathy counted. Matt had stashed 116 crayons in his clothing because the teacher told him not to bring three. And that was the challenge that was laid down. That's the kind of boy they had. And it was embarrassing to Kathy and Gordon. They said, we just thought as a professional couple, we'd be the kind of the anonymous parents that would be there just as the kids get the great awards and all of that. She said, instead, we had to endure the embarrassment of being on the speed dial of every principal of every school that Matt has ever attended. And she'd even have these young teachers that would try to give her parenting advice. Now, she's a medical doctor, but they just assume, well, maybe there's just something wrong with the way you're trying to raise this boy. But I want you to listen to Kathy's, uh, the lessons that she learned. Here's what she says. God worked in my life to change attitudes of bitterness, embarrassment, and resentment into attitudes of grace, love, and hope. These new attitudes developed out of pain, self-sacrifice, and a little creativity. They weren't easy lessons. They were embarrassing lessons. They came out of pain and self-sacrifice, but they were valuable lessons. I'm gonna go on and quote her some more. While people may judge us by our children's actions, And they will, they just do. We know it's not fair, but it's gonna happen. But listen to Kathy's response. While people may judge us by our children's actions, God judges us by our reactions to them. I needed to stop being mortified and to start being modified. At times, I actually pity those parents who have easy children. How will they ever learn these valuable lessons? I love Kathy's quote, I needed to stop being mortified and to start being modified. Lord, what do I need to learn to raise a boy like Matt? And the lessons, although painful and embarrassing, were so valuable, she now pities parents who have easy children saying, how will they ever learn these lessons? Now, I think a lot of parents might say, I'll stay mature if I don't have to learn those lessons. But in Kathy's place, They were so valuable, so rich, she wouldn't have had it any other way. Because see, when you get this, that parenting is about God working on you every bit as it is, every bit as much as it's about you working on your kid, it's just different. We look at it with an entirely new light. I want to say something that seems obvious, but I think it's profound when you think about it you chose your spouse. When you chose your spouse, you got to choose the struggles you would face. I'm gonna marry someone with these weaknesses, these strengths, I'm gonna have to learn how to accommodate this. That was your choice. You chose your spouse, but God chose your child. You chose your spouse, God chose Your child, God decided what personality you're gonna have to deal with. Whether you gave birth to that child, whether you adopted the child, you didn't know how that child was gonna act. What lessons do you think God wanted to teach you by giving you the exact kind of child that God gave to you? How does he wanna perfect your character? How does he wanna help you sink your roots deep into a spiritual growth that you never would have experienced if you didn't live life with a child that tries you in the way that your child tries you. So here's the application. How do I need to grow to raise a child just like mine? In the midst of trying to find strategies to help my child to behave, What strategies do I need to adopt to help me behave, to help me to grow, to help me face the weaknesses of someone who's trying to raise a child just like that? For me, it was God clearly telling me, Gary, don't be such a people pleaser. Don't be so passive. Sometimes you got to grow a spine. Others of you dads, it might be the opposite. God might be saying to you, look, you're too harsh. Your wife put up with it. Your daughter won't. If you don't want to close off her heart, you've got to learn how to be gentle. Are you going to lose her? Maybe for some of you moms, you've got a really strong-willed boy. And God is saying, you need to grow in courage. You need to be strong. Life isn't just about nurturing. Sometimes it's about challenging and and learning to say no, or this boy is going to run over you. We don't often want to grow in these areas that aren't our natural disposition, but they're valuable lessons. And sometimes children are the best way to point us there. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians 7.1 again. Let's just read it together. If you're watching online, just read it with me to get this verse set in your mind. Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Parenting can help us apply this verse like nothing else. Every child God gives us is a collection of sermons about where we need to grow as people. Every day of living with a child like yours is like listening to another sermon. What do we need to learn? What do we need to apply as we seek to purify ourselves out of reverence for God? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being parents, for the children that you've created, the children that you have placed in our homes. They can delight us. They can thrill us. They can fill our hearts with love and then anger us and make us afraid and hurt. But God, you don't just let us loose. You don't just place a child in our home. You've placed your spirit in our hearts to comfort us, to console us, to encourage us, to equip us, to empower us, and to transform us. Lord, it all goes back to you. We wanna learn these lessons, but we need to depend on you and draw on you to live them out. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a parent. Help us grow every bit as much as we help our children to grow. We pray in Jesus' name, in whom we put all of our hope. Amen.